those trials and tribulations many people don't see and it's this whole notion of people just kind of commenting without any expertise any understanding and it's just kind of like you could live and die by it and yeah. i'm just trying i'm trying to to figure out how to just to ignore it money coming money go i've been at it i've been at it on a low trapping out a while i can see the leaders doing as we talking plans and maybe seeing you pull up on you let me school nobody here but me and you got a little ring to it turn a thing fluid in the cool why you look i know it's real i'm on my mind shine i've been really getting feel you know why i'm here don't act like you know how i feel but let me tell you what you mean. Welcome to another episode of the Do Me a Favor podcast. Super excited for this week's episode. With me today is a good buddy of mine, co-CEO of Do Good Foods, among many other things, Justin Kmine. Justin, welcome to the show. I'm just going to run through a quick background on you. I know this this could get a bit lengthy, but uh, bear with me and uh, we'll, we'll get into it right after. So as I mentioned, Justin is the CEO of Do Good Foods, a climate forward company fighting food waste, also the co-founder of MEND, a biotech company with a mission to help people heal. In addition to that, he's also the co-founder and partner of KDC, which stands for K-Mind Development Corporation, uh, obviously his family business, which has developed over $3.5 billion of national infrastructure and is now active in the development of operations of large-scale solar projects, sustainable agriculture technologies, health and wellness products, and the list goes on and on. Couple of personal things. Justin is a Forbes 30 under 30, 50 most impactful entrepreneurs in the US, which that's, that's pretty impressive. We might have to fact check that one. Um, he was ranked Forbes 50 most influential impact investors as a TEDx speaker, a mentor and an advisor to several startups. Um, before all of this, Justin and I were co-star athletes at Lafayette College, both on and off the court in the field, both scoring goals making jump shots and drinking four locos. Justin, welcome to the show. Cheers. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Excited to be hope, here. Hope I got that all right. Yeah, it's quite the quite the resume you got there, man. Yeah, I don't think I've had a four locos since. Yeah, me too. At least not the ones we had in college. I'll tell you what. <laughs> the Probably caffeine. A good, a good move for them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, welcome, man. Happy to have you on. Right, it was, since I started this, you've been high on the list for sure. So um, yeah, wanted to... Uh, Give you that warm welcome, and uh, we'll just run through some questions and uh, want to make this as conversational as possible. Love it. And cheers. I got my cheers. white cloth. Got my Corona. Welcome. Cool, man. So first and foremost, when are you investing in favor and how much? <laughs> well, I got to is... taste the product, my friend. So first and uh, foremost, I, was... I got to get it up here, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't back anything that I don't love. I, I wouldn't want to end it away. Yeah, that's... That's a good thing. I was trying to send it to you, but you were screening my calls. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, I uh, want to touch on your professional journey. Don't want to get like too in the weeds, but as I was going through the list and kind of seeing your resume and kind of how you got to this point of, um, you know, food waste, I I'd love to hear. I, I know the story, but I don't really know the ins and outs to really how you got to this point. So I'd love to hear your version of, um, you know, post-college life for you. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess post-college life pretty much started the Monday morning when we graduated Saturday night. Um, so I know I think we all stayed up until Sunday. I drove up to Stanford, Connecticut to go to my day one job at GE, thinking that that was my dream job. 
think I'd bought like five Joseph A. Bank suits and uh, got like six for free, showed up there and had no idea what the hell I was doing and uh, clocked in. And um, one of the uh, kind of executive vice presidents was a good family friend of the energy group. And I thought that that was my dream job. He put me and knew my personality. And I was a kid that wanted to help save the world and always focus on the climate and sustainability. And uh, he put me on a debt portfolio for coal power plants, which was literally the absolute worst thing he could have done to me. Um, Long story short, over those first three months, I didn't end up doing anything for debt portfolio for coal power plants and uh, was very much up in the venture group. I've always kind of been one to say, fuck it, I'm going to go do my own thing and (laughs) not really follow rules. Doesn't really work out that well in corporate structure. Um, So nonetheless, he called me in his office and said, I know you've done nothing for your existing job, but everyone up at the venture group is uh, loving your vibes, um, but you need to go home. (laughs) And uh, so he known my father and our family business. And uh, he's like, listen, you're an entrepreneur. Um, I did this for a reason, knowing your personality, you wouldn't end up focusing on debt portfolio for coal power plants yeah go help try to save the world uh so i i i went quote unquote home uh which at that time was my father and a bunch of his buddies that had built uh to your point about a couple billion dollars of infrastructure um he started off as a plumber so that blue collar that grind get shit done atmosphere he was installing boiler rooms at age 13 uh making trying to make ends meet mortgaged his house, his house four times and became uh, one of the largest energy developers and then built the largest privately held telecom company nationwide. Mm-hmm. And so uh, at that time, we all sat around the table when my brother and I graduated college um, with my father and kind of our 10 kind of trusted developers. And we came up with the thesis that the world's fucked up and how do we change it? And how do we use infrastructure to actually solve some of society's biggest problems? Um, at that time in 2010, solar energy was just getting started. And we knew everyone in New Jersey from the CEOs of the major pharmaceuticals to Six Flags to Amazon um, and all the building owners. And New Jersey happened to be one of the best markets for solar. So uh, very quickly, in about four weeks, we raised $225 million and uh, built down to operate what became the largest portfolio providing cheap electricity to companies like Pfizer, Eli Lilly. We made Six Flags the first amusement park in the world to be 100% powered by solar. So some pretty cool stuff. Um, But over those five years, it was a training ground. I started off as a glorified secretary, literally cold calling landowners and building owners in front of the entire company. And uh, cold calling in general fucking sucks. Cold calling in front of your entire company, including your brother and your father, really fucking sucked. And, um, but yet it taught me the ways and, and kind of that determination and perseverance that you just kind of figure it out. Um, you figure out different tactics. And so long story short, built that. And then about five years ago, um, solar was great, but it was kind of getting boring. Um, it kind of had lost this entrepreneur feel Mm -hmm. and, uh, we wanted to really focus on to what we deemed as one of society's biggest problems. Um, I don't have kids yet, but knowing what I do know now um, about the food system, about the energy system and a lot of other macro problems, we're all fucked in the next 10, 20, 30 years if we don't have systematic changes. Um, and so about five years ago is when we started to focus on the food waste. 
-hmm. We recognize that 40% of all the food that gets grown gets thrown away. If food waste was a country, it'd be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter. Think about that. That's just insane. And all that food was creating or, or created by using our land and our water and our resources. And it's like, and yet two out of every five grocery bags just gets thrown away. And then when it gets thrown away in a landfill, it creates methane gas, which is a more potent greenhouse gas. So it's like this whole system is completely screwed up. Yeah. Yet, if we were able to upcycle that food into a feed, which is after human consumption can occur, that's the next best usage. And that can create a closed loop system. That was the dream five years ago after five years of a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Uh, we've now built a $169 million production facility that can upcycle about 160 tons every single day into a dried animal feed tomorrow and are going to be launching the world's first carbon reduced retail chicken product that uses our feed, um, empowering the consumers to be a part of the solution, buy a piece of chicken and now do good. Hence the name, do good. Amazing. Amazing, dude. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that was, you know, a quick realization, but at the same time, it was, you know, gradual over five years. Like how much of that, you know, you're rattling off these amazing stats and just hearing them. I've read them, but hearing them, it's like, holy shit. Like how much of that was incredibly new to you? Like when did it hit you? Like, this is a fucking problem. I don't think I could spell agriculture five years ago. Yeah. That's, <laughs> um, that's what I'm getting at. Like, yeah, this is all, this is all new to, this is all new to everyone, but to be so headfirst in it, like when did it hit you? Like I, I, I need to really get on this. Um, there's not many entrepreneurs that are infrastructure developers. Um, so I mean, not many people care about building a hundred million dollar energy project or who, who connects all of the telecom infrastructure, right? Most of those people are large companies that are very slow to move, don't really have incentives to disrupt systems. Um, and so I saw what our skill set was, which is, yeah, we were a plumbing family and now we're building infrastructure nationwide. Mm -hmm. And that get shit done attitude is different than most people. Um, yet the credibility in the marketplace to actually do things at scale is immense. So we kind of took it on our, our kind of shoulders to say, they, there's not going to be anyone else that solves this. This is a problem for a reason. Mm -hmm. And someone's got to be able to go and work with Walmart, Kroger, Albertsons, all these major retailers and make it economically viable and scalable and then put, create a feed and a brand that people actually care about and uh, make it where this can actually scale and quite frankly, solve food waste over the next three to five years, not the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, I have a list of these questions and I, I want to get to all of them, but just kind of staying on this topic, um, you've mentioned a couple of times now, like the get shit done attitude and kind of runs in your blood. What do you think, like specifically, if you had to point to a couple of things, like, I guess, where does it come from? And like, how does it manifest in, in like the day to day? Like what, what separates people who get shit done from people who don't in your, in your view? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, as you're experiencing too, I think entrepreneurs have a different breed um, and a different mindset. And I do think it, it largely is predicated on a lot of the athletes as well, um, because you do do and you inherently have to do a lot of things that you don't want to do mm -hmm. um, and grinding through those tough workouts. It is a grind. Um, everyone always likes to talk about overnight successes. Yeah, yeah okay, great. You didn't see the past 10 years. Um, I mean, we started off, 
with a piece of paper and an idea and a Vitamix essentially. <laughs> and now we're doing 160 tons a day. I mean, 300,000 pounds a day. Um, and so, I mean, we've slept on factory floors. We've screamed at each other. We've ran out saying, F you, I'm not doing this anymore. This is never going to be successful. We looked at each other in the eyes probably five or six times throughout this journey and said, I don't know where the hell we're going to go. Um, and so it's the perseverance and the entrepreneurs, at least in my opinion, the real good ones, um, have that kind of never fail attitude. And that never fail attitude is largely predicated in my opinion about the mission. If the mission's big enough and the mission's substantial enough and you do get the right people around you um, early in the journey, you can kind of navigate everything. And the benefit of being an entrepreneur with, I mean, I have people like Ann Vammen, the former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, and guys like Howard Buffett that are on our team and our board. And obviously a lot of the entrepreneurs that we have internally, having built many businesses before, you kind of recognize that you, a, you got to keep emotions flat throughout the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the trials and tribulations that you do experience, it's like, okay, keep a level head and you'll get through them if you have that right support network. Um, I think where a lot of entrepreneurs go wrong is when things start to go off the rails, which literally things go off the rails all the time, is the reaction to that and the empowerment of the people that you bring on and, and are collectively unified with as to how can you navigate that if you feel that you can um, and the mission's big enough that you have to. For example, this food waste initiative, Yeah, this has to be solved. We can't yeah. let this not be solved. So that's the, that's the focus of the, the company. It's in the heart of each one of us that this mission is bigger than all of us and yeah. we just got to fucking solve it. Got to figure it out. Yeah, and same goes for obviously when, when stuff doesn't go right, but when things do go, do go well and successes, it's kind of keeping that even, that even keel and, you know, never getting too high, never getting too low is, is something I, I like to live by as well. So cool. Your greatest, so, your greatest day and your worst day can be the same day. I've had it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There's the quote right there. Um, cool. I want to touch on something that I come up against a lot and have recently. Um, in particular, and it's this idea of like when to lean on experts, experts, people who are supposed to be specialized in, in one aspect of the business or be it nutrition, be it food scientists in my space. Um, I think it's kind of an ongoing evolution of me kind of coming to the realization that like I'm able to do more than I think I I, I can. Like, some of these people who I'm like, all right, it needs to be this person to solve this issue. It's like that, that person may not know like too much more than me. So it, it's something like a big learning in, in my entrepreneur experience is like a lot of people don't really know what they're doing as much as you think they are, or as much as you think they do. Is that something that you would agree with? And like, again, with this new space that you're in the past five years, is that something you've come up against? Yeah, totally. I mean, um, like I said, I could barely spell agriculture. And now I'm talking to some of the leading nutritionists about the amino acid profile of lysine or the soil microbiology of nematodes. It's like, what the fuck? I didn't study that. I didn't learn that. But yeah, you talk to a couple people, you learn the language, you learn why things matter and you learn your solution. Um, Same thing with the health and wellness kind of platform that we have. 
Yeah. I, I was simply dealing with chronic neck and back pain and tired of taking synthetic Advil and Tylenol and Motrin. I just cold called the global R&D director of Pfizer and asked her a simple question, which was, why haven't we taken a fully organic approach to a pharmaceutical platform and linked the best of nature with the best of science? And she said the same thing. She's like, oh, that's impossible. You can't do that. I'm like, why? That sounds pretty freaking easy. Why wouldn't we yeah. do that? And two weeks later, she quit her job full time and joined the team. She was like, you know what? I've actually been thinking about this this entire life. We can just take the same scientific approach to clinically study organic products. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes, to your point, a lot of these people are stuck in their ways. Um, 10, 20, 30 years of an ingrained corporate bullshit yeah. that just establishes one way of thinking. And until you kind of shake a person and say, you're really smart. And a lot of people have a tremendous amount of intelligence, but don't necessarily see all aspects of the business or why you're doing certain things or why you got to have your formulation to be over here because of cost of goods, because of supply chain issues or X, Y, and Z or whatever may be. Um, and when you not when you don't see that full picture, you can get experts that are great. I have a yeah. lot of experts that have taught me a tremendous amount of things that jump in for certain answers or certain questions on various calls. Um, but I'm a instead of an inch deep, I'm probably three inches deep and a mile wide in a majority of my technical conversations, um, rather than just kind of a high level surface and a mile wide. Yeah. Yeah, and that comes with with time, right? Putting putting the work in, like I guess it kind of ties into the idea of like imposter syndrome too, right? Like not thinking that you're qualified to to do certain things, which is is kind of what I was getting at at the beginning part of you know my evolution as a entrepreneur. But um, I think it's just putting in the effort, like how much research and time you put into you know understanding the space and it's like, it's no different than a athlete who's putting up the shots. Like if you're not going to yeah. be nervous, you're not going to be nervous at the end of the game if you're getting reps in. So, um, and, and it, and it kind of reverts you back to being a little kid. You keep, you keep asking why. And like, everyone's got that like little niece or nephew or kid, right? And like, well, why that? And why that? And why that? Yeah. And yet then they, then you actually like, you kind of laugh because you're like, why is a train doing this? Or why, why is a food doing this? Right. Yeah. And then most of the time you kind of get to like a, huh, like, I don't know why we actually do it that way. Like that seems actually pretty stupid when I think about it. Because, because that's why we do it. It's like, that's yeah. not a, it's not and the this bullshit ingrained system. Like our healthcare sucks, right? Our food system sucks. Our energy system sucks. It's like yeah. our government sucks. It's like, Oh, okay. But then what, we're just going to assume that everything else is, status quo is good it's like no, yeah. That. yeah i mean it's like i said it's been a ongoing realization and revelation on my end and it's a it's kind of a it's an enlightening thing to like kind of get to a point where like all right maybe everything doesn't have to be the way it is and um yeah i think asking that why is is super important well, they, they stopped inviting me back to our alma mater, mater uh, to give entrepreneur conversation or presentations because I kept telling everyone the one single and best thing that I did in college um, in the classroom was uh, we were in the microeconomics class and I raised my hand to our professor in senior year and I had kind of like already like kind of packed it in kind of vibe. And I asked him a single question, which he was putting up on the board, like some derivative about microeconomics 
And I was like, can you relate anything to this board to real life? And he was like, no. And I said, well, this is fucking stupid. Why am I sitting here if you can't relate it to real life? And walked out and, and literally went on TED.com, uh, like the, the, the conversations. And that's how I found out about biomimicry. Literally the first yeah. video that popped up was a guy named Eden Byer who was taking mycelium, which is a component of mushrooms, and extracting it and growing it. You know how mushrooms just grow, 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 grow. Mm -hmm. And actually creating the first ever 100% sustainable, uh, um, um, I lost the word, styrofoam. And he was working with William Sonoma and Dell and everything. And I was like, holy shit, nature has all the solutions. And he was like, yeah. And so when you talk about food waste, what we're doing is just reverting nature back to the way it intended to operate, where we used to take our leftovers on a dinner plate and feed it to our chickens and pigs and pets out back. They grew healthy, they grew great, and it was a completely closed-loop system. Nature has all the solutions. That's what we're now doing, but at a large-scale level, and now he's now doing it at a large-scale level too. Um, but it all started with that kind of the question, question. why. Yeah. And uh, anyway. Was that, was that in that class? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I feel like I would have remembered that. I think I think you're a couple classes behind. <laughs> classic, classic. Yeah, no, I, I had already aced that class. I think um, now that you mentioned it. Um, no, I I couldn't agree more, man. I, I'm happy to hear you say that because again, it's something I talk with my team about all the time. It's like you got to ask that question and don't assume that people know things. Like, don't make that assumption. And and I think to your point about the imposter syndrome, I mean, I still get it. I mean, you rattled off some of the the things that I've earned or won or whatever. Um, it's like you recognize very quickly, A, a lot of that's bullshit. A lot of it's kind of political behind the scenes as to kind of who you know and what strings you can kind of pull. Um, and there wasn't much benefit at all in like my life at all. Yes, yeah. from a credibility perspective. Yes, it's nice when people routed it off. And I think it from a market perception perspective, it's credible, yeah. um, but it didn't change my business at all. It didn't change anything we were doing. It didn't open up more doors. Um, it quite frankly just was whatever. It was just the next day was the next day. So the imposter syndrome, in my opinion, is it's real for me still. Yeah. Um, I mean, I am in a family business where, yeah, my dad was the original entrepreneur. He was a plumber and built billions of dollars of infrastructure. That's a crazy, he mortgaged his house with four... Uh, four times with three kids you know, yeah. with no safety net. Yeah. And I tell everyone, I'm like, great. Well, yeah, I'm putting my money where our mouth is and we're fucking going all in on all of these initiatives to try to help save the world. And shame on me if I don't take our platform from here up to here. And I'll be the first yeah. one to say, yeah, I came from a privileged background. And what we're trying to do is to gr group together with all of these thought leaders and change the world for a positive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I always, I still get the, uh, you're, you're just, you're an imposter, or you're just this or this, that. It's like, F you, you want to come and work with us? Let's do it. And yeah. we'll see it and understand it. Yeah. And I think, I think a couple of things, I think understanding that like, it's almost unavoidable, right? Like I, I've listened and heard enough people speak on that specifically to kind of come to the realization that like, you're going to get that at some, at some point, like, you're going to think like what you're doing, you're not qualified to do, especially if it's something completely new. Um, and then I think it goes back to just uh, if you're putting in the work, like who is someone else to like comment on that? Like, it's just like, if you really like break it down, it's like, 
it's kind of wild to think like, why would I even care what like other people think if I'm out here actually doing the work, but it's something you got to yeah. kind of remind yourself of Yeah, because it's, like, e it's easy. It's easy to fall into that trap for sure. It really is. And, and, it, and it's nice. I'm at least in, in a point in my life where I don't give a shit about what people say or think or believe. It's like the team that I have and, and who knows what really is going on in, in our lives and in our, in our work, all recognize it. Um, I have all the connections that I need from that capacity. Um, and then Elon Musk even says, I mean, he still gets where he's, oh, you, you're lucky. He's like, I worked for the past 10 years, seven hours, a, seven, or seven days a week for 120 hours. He's like, yeah. and you're calling that lucky? And yeah, I built SpaceX, SolarCity. I mean, they built SolarCity. SpaceX and Tesla pretty much from the ground up. And he'll, I mean, his book says it. I mean, he's like, I mean, SpaceX, the first three launches blew up and he was down to his fourth one if it was successful. That was the same time that Tesla was about to go bankrupt kind of within a couple hours. Yeah. So like those trials and tribulations, many people don't see. And it's this whole notion of people just kind of commenting without any expertise, any understanding. And it's just kind of like you could, live and die by it and yeah. i'm just trying i'm trying to to figure out how to just to ignore it yeah when do you feel like you've kind of turned a corner there is that sounds like it's somewhat of a more recent revelation like that was actually one of my i had a question on that like you know you're active on on social media you're active on linkedin like posting about all the stuff you believe in and I, again I'm i'm on definitely on your side but like there's there's a i'm sure there's been a thought of like you know how is it going to be perceived when do you feel like you got to that point of uh closer to where you're at now of like i, I don't really give a fuck yeah i think i think it's it's partly the size and the scale that now we're operating at mm -hmm. so it's like okay people can't point at me and say oh you're just house son and you haven't done anything it's like no built hundreds of millions of dollars of projects and most of my companies are scaling quite rapidly. So, okay. Check Mark. If you just took me as my own entrepreneur. Um, the other aspect I think is the recognition of um, what we were just talking about, the, the honors that are fantastic. They're great, but they don't change your life. They don't change your business. So mm -hmm. I, I was very much chasing that my early kind of mid twenties. I thought it would get it would bring me that additional recognition or that additional internal credibility that I was always um, self-doubting from uh, I came from a family business and okay people are, are just going to keep pointing at that as that's the reason for my success mm -hmm. um, and then I think it's the 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 time of life that you get to a point where I have 30 people in my network of business that I know can get me into contact with everyone. And that I know actually love me and appreciate me and are actually friends. They'll be at my wedding. Um, and that type of vibe and feeling where we just talk and you know, be the president of XYZ company that's running a $50 billion supply chain. And it's like, great, for the majority of the times, we're not talking about business, we're talking about life and we become friends. And then that person will then introduce me to, hey, X, Y, and Z, that will unlock something. Um, and it's yeah. that comfort that it's like, okay, I'm not going to additional networking events anymore. Cause I've, I've done that for the past 10 years of my life and met every single freaking person. And 99% of them have not turned out to be lifelong or people yeah. that 
that I've been associated with, but I've found my tribe. I've found my like vibe, no pun intended, and uh, just kept going. Yeah, I definitely want to dig deeper into that. Definitely have a couple of questions on the networking aspect of things. And yeah, you, you jumped, jumped right to it. What do you think? Um, what do you think has helped you kind of build that trap? So again, like not being super salesy, not expecting stuff in return. It sounds like you're really trying to grow relationships first. Is that kind of the way you approach it? Like, how do you think about networking at this point and, and kind of growing that tribe to be, be larger? Yeah. Well, or do you not want to? Are you happy? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I'm looking to to build yeah. that tribe more than another maybe ten people or so, um, because I recognize the tribe that we kind of have. It's like okay, we're kind of good. Um, but I think what what got me there to that kind of success. Hey, I mean, I look at like a guy like Sam Cass, who was Obama's former executive chef and senior policy advisor for nutrition. Um, we were simply at a dinner in the conference together, sitting back to back, and uh, people kept going up to him. And I was finally like, okay, you just get the balls and you just kind of turn around and say, hey, we got to talk, blah, 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 blah. And we were thankful enough to, to meet for breakfast the next morning. But it was also just instead of pitching, hey, this is what I'm doing, um, it was more so just being blunt and honest in the conversation. I think that's why I get a, a, at least – enough of a vibe on LinkedIn too, because it's just kind of cutting through the bullshit. And it's just like, like for food waste, like, all right, this is effing stupid that we do this. And this system is never going to work in the way that we need it to work. We're going to destroy our forests. We're, we're going to run out of soil, which we are. And we're, the food system is going to be completely blown up in the next 20, 30 years. And it's just that kind of open and honesty that it's like, Oh, and by the way, here's here's what I can talk to you about. Yeah. Um, but it's being a little bit more blunt and forceful about the problem that you're solving rather than like this whole concept of an elevator pitch. Yeah, yeah. you need it at the right time, but you also need to hit the heart. Yeah. And I feel like most of the time when you're, you know, talking to someone like that, for instance, like they know they're in the the higher position there, right? Like they they know that you're at the crux, like probably looking for something for your own personal gain. So like, mm -hmm. it sounds like being a bit more upfront about that. Like it's no different than, you know, just setting your intentions out, out front and not playing the whole game of like, you know, the, the networking game. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, and granted like the problem, uh, the companies that I'm working on are very much like sustainability focused, like, the world's fucked up. How do we change it? So yeah. you do get a little bit of a different play than, hey, if I'm selling a t-shirt or whatever it may be. Um, but it's all audience related. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think finding that heartfelt connectivity to the person um, is beneficial. Yeah, definitely. Um, I had a question, I guess, to follow up on that about you know networking and, and kind of asking for help, whether it be mentors or investors you know that's been another skill set i've been looking to constantly develop and um again providing value but also like you know if you need help you need help and leveraging my network to to get to where we're we're hoping to get to are there any tactics or like best practices in terms of um within your network whether it's an again like a mentor or 
trying to raise money, like asking for help, any, any wisdom to share on that front? Cause it's tough. Like I, I'll be the first one to admit I'm, I'm not good at, at even, you know, the podcast is called do me a favor. Like this is what I'm trying to trying to get here, but uh, it's not something that comes naturally to me. And it's something I'm, I'm hoping to continue to improve on. Yeah. No, um, and fundraising is, is an art, right? There's not a book that you can read. There's not a science. Yeah. You got to know your numbers. Yeah. You got to do all that type of stuff. Um, but I do believe it, it is, it, you got to think of a pitching for, for money as a person reading a newspaper. Um, and you, if you think about the first little first paragraph of every newspaper or article that you're reading, you can pretty much get the full summary. And then if you read the top line of the next three, four paragraphs, you can pretty much get the gist of the entire thing. Mm -hmm. um, and pitching is very difficult. Something that I've learned is that I've, I always thought that at a pitching moment, you were in the weakness. Um, and it wasn't until I kind of transitioned my mindset to say, these companies or whatever company I'm pitching is fucking awesome. And, and we're going to go off and solve or we're going to go off and really, it, it's not, it's not this Bravo, like um, overly exaggerated kind of um, self-confidence. It, it's the whole integrity and, and humbleness as to mm -hmm. why I'm sitting here in front of you. And you, and I want to partner with you because I care about this problem and we can really leverage and grow this together and help hopefully really solve this mission. But linking it all back to how do you become passionate about something? You're not passionate about putting liquid into a, a, a product, right? You're passionate about what's in that product to what then affects the person, right? And improving that person's health. And it's that mindset change. You're not just selling a, a bottle. You're selling what's inside the bottle as to the results of what that inside the bottle and why you got involved in that company or created this company and yep. what that can mean for society. And that's so much different than, hey, I have products, here's my revenue growth, and here's this, and here's my distribution partners, and this is why I like to do this, and this is a, a good company. It's like, you get to be so enthusiastic about what's in that bottle and what that means for you, that it's mm -hmm. like, you're just telling your passion. And the passion comes across in such a different way than, let me go through a PowerPoint deck and pitch yeah. for money. And I think from an investor's perspective, and I'm, I'm an investor into many of my different companies too. And it's like, you, you inherently just to see it. And it kind of goes back to, is Comes that across. entrepreneur? Yeah. Yeah. And is that yeah. entrepreneur going to grind for the next potential 10 years? Who the hell knows to get this mission done? And if they're just focused on to, hey, I got a nice bottle and I can sell it instead of what's inside that bottle and what that means for the person. I tend to think that when moments get tough and that revenue might not be there, do they really care about the mission as to why they're doing what they're doing? Yeah. Yeah. How, uh, I'm sure that's something that's evolved over time, the more you hear. And is it something you kind of innately pick up on? Obviously the more, the more and more pitches you hear, the more conversations you have, the, the better you get kind of assessing that out. But is that something that kind of shines through? Like initially, if you're like, all right, this person, is it the same it? Is that something you can kind of suss out? Well, it, a, the passion goes back to actually improving the networking skills, right? 
and yeah. and, and and that conversation as to the the why not the what um and then yeah to your point i mean listen that we, we are now in one of probably the most difficult fundraising moments of life in my opinion yes there's a lot of capital out there um yes there's a lot of shiny toys out there that are a lot of SPACs and all that type of stuff that are insane, in my opinion, uh, have lost all kind of grounds on the moral business capacity of things. Yeah. Um, but everyone's going from Zoom to Zoom to Zoom to Zoom these days, right? I mean, there's not really a day in, in my week that I'm not at least on eight or 10 different Zooms. And many of them are different conversations, different companies. We're going X, Y, and Z. I'm barely even figuring out the first two minutes as to who we're talking to and why we're talking to them. Um, And so most investors, some investors are kind of like that too. So the moment that you get them, if you're not hitting them on the passion as to, yeah, this is cool. That person's awesome. Everyone's investing at the moment, like a favor Mm -hmm. uh, at at that stage of the company, they're investing in you. They're investing in you and the mission, not the bottle. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's something that I hope has come through in in my in my pitches. But yeah, I mean I I imagine in your shoes as someone hearing that, like I don't know, I I feel like I'm pretty perceptive with stuff like that. And um, again, I think it, not to toot our own horns, but I think having a high level athletic background, we we kind of know what putting in work is and the level that it takes. I think to sustain something like this even though even if we don't know what the what the fuck we're actually doing you know so and and think about the moment that you raise a big round for your company it's that same feeling that like you just hit the game winning shot or or score the game winning goal it is that like euphoric like hell yeah this is the coolest thing i i I mean we've done a bunch of it now and it still is like fist pounding like holy shit this is so freaking cool right i mean it's that euphoric feeling so you got to kind of go into the conversation as if it's like the fourth quarter of like, all right, game freaking on, you know? And I think yeah. so many entrepreneurs kind of take that, oh, this is nice and I'm doing this. And it's like, no, I want a type A personality that's going to get the shit done. And I want yeah. that passion to come across. And listen, I gave my pitch for the food waste company for freaking three years over like 672, I forget the exact number, but over 500 times easily, the same pitch to different investors, and kept getting no, 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 literally over 500 times easily. Yeah. Finally, we got one and it was like all that was worth it. And I could see the journey as to how everything transitioned from the pitch deck to the business plan, to the team that we started bolting on, to the companies that we started to get involved and associated with it. And then the progress of all that and the progress of our own pitch and the conversation as to how we would answer certain questions. And so your own pitch is going to take hundreds of times that you're going to do it and you're going to look back i look back at my early pitch decks being like i wouldn't invest in that company that company sucks (laughs) yeah well the mission like i don't know about you but not the mission like the idea has always been in place right like the simplicity the no bullshit kind of straight to the point shots like the the idea has always been in place but the messaging and like the fine-tuning of the messaging like it I'm sure you guys are doing it every month, right? Like it's always updating. I read like what we have on our website, you know, today. And I'm like, this could get better. Like we, we need to like the overall overarching idea is there and that's not going to change, but like 
kind of it takes a while to really fine tune fine tune that kind of thing our our motto is literally every day get a little better and it's just a little better it's like yeah that's that's all you need to do and if you do that every day then you're gonna get a lot better yeah progress over perfection right yep yep the whole paralysis by analysis is the most frustrating thing from an investor perspective and an entrepreneur perspective yeah yeah but there's a balance right like the yeah analysis so, and planning. so, so let, let me turn the table a little. what what scares you the most as being an entrepreneur first time what scares me the most mm-hmm. um i think a big thing for me right now is like putting the team together so that that's like my main focus and i'm confident in my abilities to lead a team but just having talked to enough people in your position and in you know, doing this podcast, my brother, a couple other founders, I know, like, I know how important the team is. And I think making a couple decisions on, on team that, you know, are not great. I know a lot of it could be fixed, but, um, not getting the right people in place, I think is, is something that I I think about. I don't know if I'd say it scares me, but I, I just know how important that is again, coming from, you know, a, a hoops playing background and, you know, I, I feel like once it's in place, we'll be able to, to to lead it. But getting getting the people on board is is yeah. first and foremost, I think, right now. And we've got a couple, and I'm happy with them so far. But continuing that out because the first few hires are, are going to be so so vital, and I know it. So absolutely. There, so so you've gotten over the there's others. Yeah. Have you gotten over the fear of failure? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I feel like I've done enough like of these conversations and like, you know, obstacles the way, like I try to not to like go off on a tangent, but like the stoicism kind of mindset of like things are going to be shitty. Um, I think it's just like the first time you do it, you don't know, like you you just really don't know much. Yeah. Like there's obstacles that I just wouldn't have envisioned would be obstacles. And I'm like, all right, that, that sucks. And we'll, we'll have to, to get through that but um i, I don't think I, i've had like a, a fear of failure i think i no part of me thought this wouldn't be hard going into it so like um certain aspects have been more difficult than probably i envisioned that was never like uh this is going to be easy type of thing certain aspects have been easier certain have been much more difficult but i don't think i have a, a fear of failure i don't think you can like I, you wouldn't, you wouldn't last, you know, we made it through a pandemic and basically is just a team of one. So I, I feel like I'm somewhat playing with a bit of house money right now. So, um, Love it. but it's that, always, that it, it's, a, it's always like, you know, there's always some worry there, but I don't think a, a fear I wouldn't say is, is there anymore. Awesome. Or, it's honestly, I think the most important aspect of business to get over as an entrepreneur, because I think everyone has the quote unquote, the imposter syndrome, right? You're doing things that you never thought you'd be doing. You're working supply chain, you're doing marketing, you're filling bottles, you're driving them to customers, you're doing sales, you're looking at balance sheets and going, what the hell is all this? And yet, um, so many times, I mean, I dealt with it for a while that, that, fear is almost clouding um, the thought process as to how to really move forward because you're so scared to um, 
kind of disappoint your internal self that is validated by others. Um, and the moment I cut that string, which I'm so happy to hear that you've already cut, um, it kind of goes back to like the, all these nominations and stuff. It's like you kind of just cut that string as to you don't care what happens from an external perspective. Yeah. And the confidence in what you are learning and building as an entrepreneur, you're learning your MBA, your supply chain, your marketing degree all in one, all at once. And not many people have the capability to jump in and do that. And then when you eliminate the fear of failure, it's like your friends, your real friends are going to sit here like I am and say, I'm so freaking proud of you. I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited for you. I'm willing to open up my doors and networks to yeah. because I see it and I recognize it. I have a lot of people call me and say, oh, can you introduce me? It's like, well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just trying to get like build up my network. It's like, okay, well, what are you building and why are you like calling me? Yeah. It's like when you see it and you recognize this the struggle and the opportunity and the excitement and yet the grind of everything, it takes a special person and then removing that fear of failure where you always know that you'll land on your feet some way, somehow. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, just go for it. Yeah. And it's it's cumulative too, right? Like, you know, the more you fuck up and make it through and you know there's definitely been shitty situations obviously supply chain like stuff like that but like yeah you build up day by day as you said like you you build up this kind of resistance to it and um things start there's little wins yeah we, i mean we, dude we, i dude I, I was crying in my car probably two weeks ago <laughs> literally down on my same. production facility trying to get same. uh my yeah. silo unclogged and literally up there for 28 hours on, on a ladder chiseling away during new year's I fell off the ladder, had a crowbar go in my butt. It was like all of this crazy shit slept on the factory floor for three hours and kind of 72, 72 hours just kind of shifts. And I was down there with all my guys and we couldn't get this thing on lodge. And then when we finally did, there was, we it was like this moment of success after yeah. about three days. And then we found out that the next piece of equipment, um, was was also equally stuck and so i went in my car and cried i was like oh my god the client needs it at this moment this is the the end of everything um and yet you recognize very quickly we navigated it we got through it it was all solved now and our clients are actually happier and more excited based upon the launch date that we're giving yeah. them because it actually aligns it gave it they were concerned as to how quickly we were moving and all of this other stuff. And it was like, so just being honest and in, in that integrity to your clients as well as to like, and we, yeah. COVID's crazy, right? It's like, yeah, we had a lot of people out with COVID supply chains, production, everything. It's like, okay, people are people. And if you treat them like that, rather than like, Oh, this is X, Y, and Z customer. It's like people will respect that. Yeah. And I was just on the phone with one of the largest restaurant chains, McDonald's, um, and they still do things by handshake. And it's like, that's really cool that that's still the ethos of a company like that. Um, yeah. Because of, of their size, they, they can only work with so many suppliers. Mm -hmm. But B, that's their focus. It's like my handshake matters and my integrity matters. Yeah, it's obviously worked for them. So. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I couldn't agree more. 
like I think small wins and um, again, being honest and not, not bullshitting people is kind of what you're getting at. Like we're big on not complaining. Like everyone has these issues. Like the, the supply chain thing is kind of like annoying me at this point. Like everyone, everyone's dealing with it. Right. Like it is what it is. Like we have a certain mentality. My, my team now, like there's just no excuses. We just got to figure out a, a solution. Um, Cause it is a waste of time. Like it's not only is it not productive, like it, you're literally wasting time. So completely agree. But, it, but it also goes back to an athletic kind of mindset, right? I mean, if, if you're a star player, I know you were the, one of the star players, but you know, if the other one fouled out because of, of a bad rep yeah. call, right. And, and there's two minutes left in the game. You're not complaining about how bad the ref is. You're saying, okay, how the, how the F do we solve this? Yeah. And win. Yeah, there's just no time. Like, especially running a business, there's no time. Like, yeah, you, there's no time to complain. Which leads me to another question I want to ask you about. Kind of, somewhat of an off switch with running multiple. I guess you're having your hand in multiple businesses, running one business. Like, the idea of balance, right? Obviously, everyone knows that you need balance to to be successful. You know, obviously, like the shorter work week, shorter work day is, is becoming more popular. I've found in my journey, like, and again, this is something just talking to people that's normal. So I'm not like unique in any way with this, but like the idea of feeling some sort of guilt or like on when you unplug, you're like still obviously thinking about certain things or I should be doing this. Like, you know, how do you kind of approach unplugging and, and taking breaks um both like on a day-to-day -day basis and like you know even more taking a couple days off like have you had a situation that has led you to kind of be like all right i need to take more breaks because i've like a burnout situation for instance um i don't think i'm well, taking a vacation like i don't think i've turned off my phone or my, my computer probably for the past six years um so every day I'm doing something, no matter what, because um, to a to a point, there's a lot of shit going on across all of their different companies. So there's always a success and a firestorm all at once. Um, but where I find the balance is, um, I I do take like I mean today, right? I had calls from seven a.m. to about two thirty, and I had a break from two 30 to four and I was like, all right, I'm going to run to the gym. And someone called me and they're like, where are you? I'm like, I'm going to the gym. Like I'm turning off my phone for that hour and just mm -hmm. going to the gym. And that's like my mental break in that capacity on the weekends. It's like, great. You kind of wake up and you're like, all right, what else are you going to do? You're going to kind of go to the coffee shop, do some work for an hour and a half or so and kind of come home and then go off with your day. So yeah, weekends are slightly more relaxed and, and doing that. I'm not doing a 10 hour day, 12 hour day on, on weekends, but mm -hmm. um, it's kind of finding that balance as to the everyday rather than like these big breaks that at least I've found where like, I'm good. Yeah. It's daunting to be like, Oh my God, this is gonna be like the rest of my life. I also recognize that I'm like, okay, in the next three, four or five years, companies are going to be large enough that, okay, you can take a break. Right yeah. now there's that preseason mindset from a, a, a like you got to work every day 
Um, because the season's not over. Yeah. So it's more, we're working it into the the day to day, taking gym breaks, meditating, that kind of thing that, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a constant, there's definitely a movement of like the unplugged, you know, obviously people want to work less now, but, um, it's something that is, is always kind of there. It's like, Oh shit, I should be doing this. Like, yeah. When does that subside? What does it subside? It's kind of just part of the journey, you know? So I think people want to work less. That doesn't mean that entrepreneurs can work less. Very true. Very true. So you you don't, you don't build a company by working less. You, You build a company by putting in the hours, grinding away, getting it up to scale. And then that hopefully gives you enough capital to then simply sit there and say, okay, yeah, you can retire at age 40. That's pretty cool. And then do whatever you want. Yeah. That's the plan, right? Yeah. Maybe 39 for you. Yeah. I'm, I was thinking 38, 39, but um, we all have different goals. Uh, <laughs> cool, man. A couple more questions. These are kind of more macro questions that I'm trying to have some consistency with, with each show and each guest to kind of ask big picture questions that um, are, are more of like a, takeaway that are consistent across all the episodes so what do you think your this is going to put you on the spot a bit but what do you think your best skill is like if you have the pinpoint one skill that has led to your success so far that you kind of lean on potentially what do you think your best skill is convening the right people around the, the, a certain mission um so i'm always one to say i raise my hand the first time and say um Certainly not the smart, pretty much usually the dumbest guy in the room, um, but I can communicate well and I can communicate well in a passionate way that is knowledgeable enough about the reason we're doing it and why we're doing it and then getting into the opportunities. Um, so number one kind of skill, at least in my opinion, is about convening people around the right mission um, and communicating that mission to everyone and getting industry thought leaders or, or people that are way smarter, way better in whatever in, uh, platform that we're focused on to come and kind of rally around a unified approach to really solve a big problem. So it's really, that's my key aspect. I don't really have to do all the nitty gritty kind of stuff. Yeah. Team, uh, goes back to your experience, teamwork, being a, being a captain, kind of getting people on board, right? I mean, you've had, yeah. well, you that, guys, that, You've had years of this, right? Like it's, yeah, I, I, I think that's an incredible skill that you've been able to cultivate over over years. So you're confident in it. Yeah. Well, and, and you self-audit yourself. I mean, it's like, I know what I'm good at. I don't need to be good in everything. I need to be really, really freaking good in like the three things that no one else is really that good in, at least in my team. And it's like, if I go crush that and they go really good in, we're a pretty badass group. And we're good. Nice. Good answer. Um, Second overarching question. This is, I've been like iterating this, so bear with me with how I'm asking this, but you mentioned one quote earlier. I forget what it was. You had one on your LinkedIn profile that I pulled, but if you had like one mantra or one quote, one kind of um, idea that you had to get tattooed on your body, what would it be? Is there one, I guess a, a mantra would be the word or like a motto that um you kind of live by i forget you mentioned one earlier something about the day-to-day but uh 
something that you're like, all right, of all my values and like ideals, like this one is is what I live by. Uh, it would be a dash. A dash. Oh, that's oh yeah. Okay, let's let's hear. It. Yeah. So it was it was the best question that was ever asked to me when I was on a panel, which it happened to be the CEO of Puma, which I had no idea who he was. And he came up on stage and asked me a single question as to what is your dash? Everyone's defined by it. Turned around to the entire audience and said, everyone is everyone in here has a dash and everyone's defined by it. And he turned to me and said, what's your dash? I'm like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> like completely like can't even think of a, what you're asking me. And he said, think about it. The day that you're dead, you have the gravestone that you're provided and you have the name that you're given dead your dash is your legacy your dash is your contribution to society and what people will remember you for not you're never putting on your gravestone how many business deals you did or the forbes 30 under 30 or it's like no your dash is your contribution to society and it's like damn that's really cool to wake up every day and say okay is my dash getting better um in what i'm doing awesome yeah and that'd be easy tattoo too just one little you can't really screw that up and if you do you got a bad tattoo artist you got a bad tattoo artist so next time i see you i'll be looking for that that's that's good man yeah i like that i like that a lot um cool well i think that's a probably a good place to to end things i think we we touched on a bunch um wanted to again say thanks for for joining me man um like i said when i decided i wanted to actually start doing this you were top of the list for sure and um I mentioned it at, at the outset, but aside from whatever accolades I mentioned, I, I forgot half of them already, but I, I really respect what you're doing and you're putting in the work and um, you're talking about things that people aren't talking about. And I think more than anything like that, I don't give a fuck, like you're, you're getting your message out there and I've noticed that you've turned that corner and it's something that I definitely strive toward and um, I appreciate it. And I, I see you doing the work and um, we've come along long way from the the campus pizza for loco days yeah, as i bars. mentioned so part, part yeah. of part of growth so thanks yeah. again man I, well, I appreciate you coming on yeah i appreciate it and excited for uh, your journey man appreciate that appreciate that and uh we'll, we'll get up soon for sure so sounds good buddy Talk soon, man. Thank you. I put all of that in my and papers, blowing vapors, sweating traders. Long hair killer in my villa, bitch, I made it. Used to play the play, now I think we made it now. She wanna lay me down. I'ma need you to hold me all the way down. Hold it down for me. Say you down for me. Say you, say you. Hold it all the way down. Hold it down for me.